The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And I'm so, so excited to introduce you to Thomas DeLauer. And he is a transformational expert. He's a husband, he's a dad, and I'm a huge fan of yours. I think your work is so amazing. And so welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. I'm stoked to be here today. So if people have been hiding under a rock and they haven't yet heard from you, tell us, tell them a little bit about you to introduce. Yeah, where where people might recognize me, even if they maybe don't know my name, maybe they've seen my face. Uh, it's mainly on YouTube. So I have a two and a half million subscriber YouTube channel, predominantly in the world of intermittent fasting, metabolic health, keto, all things longevity related, really. Uh, I had my own personal transformation from a 300 pound corporate executive in the healthcare world to uh, what I do now, which is you know, preach health and explain how you can get the best possible outcome from uh, what you put in your body. And so I spend my days doing that. I have a wonderful wife and two amazing kids. And, you know, now as my life has evolved, I spend a lot more time educating people on how to be healthy, how to implement intermittent fasting when they're busy with families, when life is actually coming at them at warp speed. So I pride myself on being able to articulate fairly complex subject matter and biochemistry in a way that gets people excited and passionate about changing their health. So I'm excited to dive into more of that today. All right. Well, let's jump into a few questions and then I've got some questions for you. But this first one is from Willie in Virginia Beach. He says, how do you get as lean as you are, which is probably about sub 10% body fat while still maintaining so much muscle mass and not getting too skinny? Yeah. Very, very good question. Uh, It's first important to note that I was very, very heavy before. So I had a good amount of muscle just from carrying them around my weight and, and that sort of thing. So it's a lot easier for me to hold on to it because my body is relatively accustomed to it. Now, that's not to say that it can't be done because I have seen it done all the time. Uh, for me, it's always a matter of fluctuating the timing in which I do my fasts so that I'm never timing them uh, consistently. I'm not doing the same time periods over and over. And what I mean by that is you have to keep your body guessing. And and I don't like to ever say that specifically because you don't want to trick your body. That's not what we're really after. But by constantly changing the time in which you eat and the time in which you fast, you're allowing your body to kind of get into a little bit of a shocked state where your results are going to be more powerful from what you're doing. And what I mean by that is if you do the same thing over and over and over again, your body is going to adapt to that. It's going to adjust to that. So if you're constantly tweaking and constantly refining, you do allow yourself to get a continued result. For me, that continued result is maintaining muscle and staying lean. So I'll go through periods of time where I'm in a caloric surplus, or I'll go through periods of time when I'm in a deficit, but they're never extended periods. For example, I try to look at things in a different scale, whereas a lot of people will look at uh, traditional three months of bulking and then three months of cutting. And they kind of like go through these back and forth where they, they gain a bunch of weight and then they trim it down and they don't realize that, Hey, I can stay lean year round if I do that same thing, but I do it at a smaller scale. And what I mean by that is like things like fasting when I'm fasting, I'm in a deficit. 
when I'm eating, I'm in a surplus, but it's just compressed. So it's like, in essence, I'm doing my bulking and cutting phases in one or two days rather than over six months. Yeah. Love it. That's so good. Um, the next couple of questions I have, and it kind of goes back to what you just said, but it's constant. I will tell you, this is like one of the top questions we get and I'll sum it up for you. Basically they're saying, you know, I'm doing intermittent fasting. I'm doing keto. I've lost 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 50 pounds, but I still have 20 or 30 more to lose. And they can't seem to get that last 20 or that last 30 and so they saw all these drastic results and now they're at a standstill and they're like, I am stuck here. I've still got 20. I've still got 30 more pounds to go. I can't get them off. What would your suggestion be for those people? Yeah, that is such a frustrating thing. And the last, it was like the last 15, 20 pounds for me, was just, just terrible. It was so difficult. And it took me so much different trial and error until I finally realized that what was happening was I was just like everybody talks about, I was getting to this point where my metabolic rate had just adjusted to what I was eating. And it happens with fasting too, is okay, maybe we're doing intermittent fasting, but in our eating window, perhaps we're only eating 1500 calories. Well, thermodynamics would tell us that we have to continually decrease our calories if we want to end up losing weight. And once our body adjusts to that, well, your body's just adjusted to intermittent fasting and that's just your lifestyle, but maybe it's not going to change your body composition anymore, which can be so frustrating because we're like, well, what else can I do? I've already eliminated breakfast and lunch. I'm now I'm just eating dinner. You know, it, the logical thing for people to do is just eliminate another meal and start fasting longer, but that's not necessarily the route you want to go. Just like anything, we require diet breaks. Now, when I say diet break, I don't mean that you come off of everything entirely. What I had to do was I had to periodically elevate my calories to maintenance level, just to maintenance level. And these are clean calories. And I would still do it with intermittent fasting. So yeah, I might bump up my calories 10, 15, 20% for one to two weeks, still fasting, but just increase my calories a little bit. And then by the time I come off of that, my body usually makes a change because it usually takes one to two weeks for your metabolism to sort of adjust again with any kind of diet break. The other piece that I, I really talk about a lot on my channel is it's very, very common for people that are doing fasting to also be doing keto. And within the keto realm, it's so easy to want to just eat more fats when in reality, fats are providing us with the energy source. We want our body to be able to pull the energy source from our adipose tissue, from our fat tissue. So what I typically recommend is periodically dropping the fat intake very low for one or two days. And then you're, so you're really just having protein on your, you know, your keto days, which seems very aggressive and it kind of is, but you're not having to do it frequently. You see, there's a lot of diets out there like the uh, protein sparing modified fast, which actually ironically put a video out today on, which is a medical weight loss method where you go very low calorie, very high protein, very low fat. In a medical scenario, they're doing this over the long term. I'm recommending going low fat, high protein for like one or two days per week so that your body finally has an opportunity to start pulling from your stored body fat and it doesn't get sort of adjusted or spoiled to all the fat that you're giving it all the time. You need to let it actually pull from your stored tissue now and then. I agree with that so much for me personally. Um, you know, I, the way that 
for me, if I need to lose some weight, like I gained probably about seven pounds during COVID and I was like, okay, I need to really take this off. But for me, I had to add in some longer fast. And then I had to also, I had to just constantly keep changing it up. I had to do like a 48 hour fast thrown in there. Then I had to make it where one of my days I was doing, because normally I eat in a four to six hour window. I'd have to make it an eight hour window, eating more carbs, just constantly changing it up. Because it's just like the gym. If you're doing the same thing all the time, your body is going to adjust and just get used to it. And you're not going to see the results that you want. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And along with that, changing the timing in which you fast, just like I mentioned earlier, could mean maybe you're used to doing an eating window from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. or from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. What's stopping you from flipping that on its head and having your eating window in the morning? and fasting in the afternoon and skipping dinner. Some of the biggest results that I've had in the shortest amount of time have been when I decide to still do a 20 hour fast, except I'm fasting through dinner and overnight and then breaking my fast the next morning. You just kind of flip it on its head, but we don't typically think of that as the typical fasting because most of what's out there and most of what works and what's convenient is just skipping breakfast, skipping lunch, and then kind of getting into dinner. So I encourage people try switching it up, try having a different you know, fast during a different period of your diurnal rhythm and during a different, um, you have a different microbiome in the afternoon, you have different gene expression, you have all kinds of different things that are happening in the afternoon, evening. So why not expose yourself to fasting during this different state of being? And you might be surprised at how it just all of a sudden things start to click. Yeah. And, and like you said about the fat for me, I think, especially for women, and I've seen this for women more is that for me, like if I start doing too much fat, I will really start gaining weight. There's a happy medium. I think people just get completely out of control with the amount of fat that they're eating. And then they're going, well, why am I not losing weight? Because yeah. yeah. your body's using that fat. It's not using the fat from your thighs. Yep, exactly. And it's it's a convenience thing too. It's a heck of a lot easier to grab a fat bomb or you know some of these delicious keto treats that are out there than it is to cook up a little bit of meat or cook, you know, cook some eggs. I mean, whatever, uh, whatever your protein source is going to be, it's just, it's typically more difficult to have protein in a convenient way than it is to have all these convenience, you know, keto foods that are out there. And we also run into the hyper palatability now. I mean, food marketing has figured out that lots of people like keto. So guess what? They've figured out how to make keto foods taste delicious. And that just puts us right back to square one with consuming too many calories, which can definitely be a problem. (laughs) Yeah. So that brings us to this question. This is from Jacqueline in Washington, DC. She obviously is an avid listener of yours. She says, Thomas's podcasts have suggested that in order to build muscle, I should, I should breakfast. I think I should skip or no, I should breakfast in the morning and consider skipping dinners. Please advise on best morning meals. Most suggested are dinner type meals. Do egg whites count as a lean protein? Jacqueline from Washington, DC. Jacqueline, super good question. And it it does, uh, I I feel like for building muscle and for staying lean in the process, um, training in the morning and then breaking your fast after your workout in the morning is just phenomenal. A couple of days a week. You don't even have to do it all the time. Not, not every single day. Uh, the caveat to that is if you don't train in the morning, you may want to, you want to adjust to be breaking your fast whenever your workout is over. So I said that in that video, because 
I work out in the morning and I know most of the people that listen to me or watch me probably do as well because I preach it so much. Uh, but if you work out in the afternoon, you work out in the evening, you should schedule your fast as such so that you break your fast at the end of your workout. So now that I've got that out of the way, uh, egg whites absolutely can be a lean protein. Um, I usually steer people away from breaking their fast with egg whites because it's the almond, the egg white. If you look at a lot of ALCAT scores and a lot of food sensitivities uh, testing, you generally find that people will have a stronger uh, immune reaction or an allergy or histamine response to egg whites than they do yes. to yolks. Now, if you look at like AIP, autoimmune paleo, like some of these protocols, they usually have people introduce egg yolks before they ever do introduce egg whites because they're, for lack of a better term, less inflammatory. I don't, I, I use that a little bit loosely, but that being said, of course, if you feel good eating them and they don't cause you an issue, then there's nothing wrong with it. Personally, if I break a fast with egg whites, I gain like three pounds in water weight over like the next like six hours. It's really, really, really wild just because I have a weird response to that. And a lot of other people do too, my wife included. So again, yes, a great lean protein if you can react okay with it. Um, otherwise I would suggest going with a poultry simply because when you break a fast with poultry, you get a good amount of thiamine. So you actually get the proper utilization and proper glucose utilization in the body too. Uh, and then you want to try to wait about 30 minutes after your workout to when you eat that meal, just because you are going to get a little bit more fat burning that occurs just because of the post-exercise oxygen consumption after a workout. Uh, so yeah, first thing in the morning, you can have your coffee before you work out. That way you're going to mobilize a little bit more of the fat, finish your workout 30 minutes later, lean protein. If you are doing carbohydrates, it wouldn't be a bad time to have carbohydrates too. And I say that because some people do fasting with keto, some people don't. So you'd want to have very, very lean carbohydrates, something like a red potato or just a you know, microwave or oven baked, just a regular russet potato, uh, super lean, just get the starch in. That's funny that you said that. I just took a food sensitivity test and I've taken about four of them. And every time something different comes up on it, but I yeah. like to take it just for fun and stuff like that. So, but egg whites, every time I take a food sensitivity test for me personally, egg whites shows on it. And I've seen different people's and it seems like that is a huge trigger. So when you're making your eggs, do you, will you do like an egg? You'll just do like an egg over easy and then just take the egg whites off and just eat the center. So sort of, I, I feel the egg white is such a tremendous source of protein. I, I usually feel it's got to be dose dependent. So what I'll do is I'll usually have one or two whole eggs, and then I'll add two or three additional yolks and just give the, the dogs the egg whites because it's good for them. Still, there's no biotin in it for the dogs, but it's still a good source of protein. I don't want to waste it. Um, so sometimes I'll cook it up separately and give it to them. Otherwise I'll just eat it raw. So usually I'm adding extra yolk so that I'm getting a higher ratio of that and just not having as much of the inflammatory white. And I, again, I'm having to speculate a little bit because there's not a lot of evidence out there, but when you look at what the egg white is, I mean, the egg white is passing antibodies and the immunity over to the chicken, which is the yolk. So of course it's going to be immunologically active. Like it's going to be, it's going to have antibodies and things like that in it because it's getting passed to the chicken. So it's no surprise that we have an immune response to it because our body is probably like, what the heck's going on with this? Uh, so I, again, think that's dose dependent. I think if you're someone that's cooking up five or six egg whites as your meal, that's when you run into an issue. But if you're having a whole egg and you, you know, it's not the end of the world. Mm. 
All right. This next question is from Lindsay in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm getting frustrated because I feel like I hear different people talking about different opinions of what to drink when fasting. One guy says, have a splash of lemon in your water. It's no big deal, they say. Another person says, diet Coke is fine. There's no calories. Another one says, it is a big deal. Some people say 50 calories of heavy cream isn't a big deal. Butter isn't a big deal. And everyone seems to have conflicting ideas. What are your thoughts? Lindsay in Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, I don't want to add more confusion to everything. Uh, you know, again, the best approach is the one that works for you always. Um, I will go on the record and say that heavy cream, butter, MCT oil, absolutely 100% break a fast. There's different kinds of fasting that utilize them, but that is not, I mean, that is far too many calories. If you have a tablespoon of MCT oil, you're at hundred calories, you know, or it's, you're going to definitely be breaking a fast. What you have to look at is the bigger piece of the equation. What is the actual effect of the food you're consuming or beverage that you're consuming on the body? For example, green tea. Green tea is going to activate the AMPK pathway. It's going to activate cyclic adenosine monophosphate. So it's going to put you into a deeper fasted state despite having five calories or three calories. Coffee, the polyphenols in coffee have been demonstrated to does trigger more autophagy. So put you into a deeper fasted state. Caffeine in general is going to mobilize lipids. It's also going to stop the breakdown of cyclic adenosine monophosphate. And what all that gobbledygook means is that they're essentially putting you into a deeper fasted state and getting you more of the desired outcome. Let's not forget that no matter what, no matter what, if you want to be doing the purest, most absolute clean fast possible, it's just water. Everything else is getting granular with different approaches. So if you ever just want to know what is the baseline cleanest way to fast, it's just with water, period. Don't even add salt. Okay. But if you want to start playing around and seeing what gets you the best outcome and makes you feel the best and gets you the best body composition result, play around with what works for you. But having the dairy, having that stuff during a fast, that's just... No, that's just a lot of calories. That's just going to be basically doing keto. You're, you're kicking yourself out of a fasted state. I would say the top line amount of calories you should consume during a fast is going to be 10. 10 calories is a good number that I stick to. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you I'm offering a free weight loss virtual Bible study. Now is the perfect time to focus on understanding true hunger and fullness and learn what the Bible has to say about it. All you have to do is go to chantelrayway.com slash Bible study. After you sign up, you'll receive a six week Bible study video that you can watch on your own, or you can get a small group of people and do it together. That's chantelrayway.com slash Bible study for your free six week Bible study course. Awesome. Love it. Okay. This is from Oksana. Is there any better way to drink ACV. I can't stand it even when you add lemon juice and et cetera. Can ACV mess up your thyroid functions over a long period of time? I don't think that ACV is going to mess up your thyroid functions because the main benefit from ACV is just the acetic acid, um, which is just the vinegar. And I guess, you know, a lot of people that watch me would probably hate me for saying this, but acetic acid you're going to get from any vinegar, really. Apple cider vinegar has a few more polyphenols in it just because of the nature of how it's fermented. So by far, it's the best vinegar that's out there, but you can get a lot of the same metabolic effects by quite frankly, having white vinegar, which 
doesn't sound that exciting, but if it's a little bit easier for you to get down and have a little bit of white vinegar with some water and a little bit of squirt of lemon, you're still going to get a lot of the acetic acid benefit. You see the acetic acid is going to get converted into, it goes into a process where it gets converted into acetoacetate. And when that process happens at the cellular level, it again is putting you into a deeper fasted state. I did a specific video all on this. Uh, so it's not gonna affect your thyroid because it's not really doing much there at all, but it helps activate the pathways that get you deeper into a fasted state. Um, you could take apple cider vinegar capsules if you got pure ones. The hard part is a lot of times they're also mixed with maltodextrin or they're mixed with another filler to fill up a capsule, but you're getting the acetic acid in that effect. Um, remember, you can dilute it as much as you want too. You don't have to take a potent shot of it. If you want to mix it with 12 ounces of water, a little splash of lemon and a little bit of stevia, you're just as good as if you were to take a straight shot of it. The only benefit that comes from having a straight shot of it is sort of the gustatory response that comes from having something pungent and powerful tasting like that, which has a neurological effect of sort of waking you up. So a lot of people that are uh, looking to get off of coffee will have a shot of ACV because <laughs> it'll wake you up. There's no way around it. Awesome. All right. This is from Zara in Fairfax. What are the biggest fasting and keto tips that you've learned now versus from before? I don't know when that means that you can stay as chiseled as you are. Like if you had to give your top five tips for today, what would they be? Oh man, you guys are going to, you all are going to read me for this because it changes so much because it's like, I have so many. Like, you learn new things though. Yeah. You it's new things. Yeah. It's, I know it's, it's so easy and you, you totally get it Chantal because it's like you're, you know, you're, you're public facing and like if you evolve and you learn, sometimes people get upset with you for it because it doesn't mean I'm changing the direction. It just means I'm learning new things. So as of right now, like what I've learned is sort of what I mentioned earlier, uh, not being stuck in your ways, shifting, shifting when you can fast, when you fast, break yourself out of that rut. So that's tip number one, shift the time periods in which you fast. Uh, tip number two is shift the time periods in which you work out during your fast. Sometimes work out at the beginning, sometimes work out at the end. I'm all about variety and keeping it as, as fresh as I can there and having different effects. Um, the third tip is one that I've learned uh, relatively I don't know, in the last year or so, I used to be all about just breaking your fast with any kind of protein, you know, just break the fast with protein. Now I've learned more about not breaking the fast with red meat, breaking the fast with more of a white meat or more of like a pea protein or a whey protein that's going to have thiamine in it simply because it's going to, again, help that glucose uptake a little bit more. Um, another thing that I've learned that is a very, very big tip. Well, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much because I know we're talking about body composition, but uh, having a little bit of salt before breaking your fast simply because it's going to help stabilize the blood serum levels of sodium. So you don't feel kind of lethargic and weak afterwards. Because sometimes it's what happens during a fast is your blood levels of electrolytes stay fairly regular, your serum levels, because what happens is the body recognizes that you're not eating. So it'll pull electrolytes out of the tissues and put it into the blood level, blood to keep it stable. That's the job, the body's job is to keep that level stable. So then what ends up happening is you break your fast and all of a sudden, all the sodium that's in the serum level is going to flood into the tissue because insulin is going to spike. So that means all of a sudden you get this big drop in electrolytes that occurs right after you break a fast. But if you have some sodium right before you break your fast, then you have ingested sodium that's going to help offset that. So I was finding that I was fasting a lot and I was getting really lethargic like 30 minutes after I broke my fast, even with something light. I'm like, this is getting kind of weird, what's going on? and realize that that was what was happening. 
So that's an important one. And let's see one more that's body composition related. Yeah, I always have like new one, new and interesting ones. I, um, I would say so. So if you look on here, this mm-hmm. is my blood glucose monitor. Yep. So I don't have diabetes, but I have bought myself a Dexcom yeah. body monitor. And so I know my blood sugar. So I just finished eating about an hour ago. Um, and so but it's my blood sugar's at 91. So like, to me, that's a win, you know? So my blood sugar stays at a 91 after I finish eating, I'm happy. And I will tell you, this thing has been the most powerful thing that I've ever done personally, because at any one given time, I see how I personally Mm -hmm. react to fruit and this and that. So if I have if I decide to have half a couple blueberries, what's it going to do to me? And really looking at my sugar levels has been one of the most powerful things because then I can see, okay, what happens to me if I have a cup of coffee and I put MCT oil in it? What does my blood sugar do? It's really powerful. Yeah. It tells you a lot. That would be a very, very big tip as well. If you can, I've, you know, worn CGMs off and on and I'm about to start wearing another one next week to try out a different model just to see. But point is, is, you learn something new about yourself. And there are some really interesting studies coming out with like what they're calling blood algorithms and like people, different people flat out respond to different foods. And this is going to get again, reamed for saying this, but there's literally people in like massive 46,000 cohort studies that can eat cookies and cake and not have the same glycemic response and not have the same negative effect as it has on other people. Why? We don't really know. Is it microbiome related? The cool thing about science is we're always learning and we never know everything that's happening. It's our job to uncover it. So if you start learning what works for you and you know when you're getting the best outcome, then that's awesome. And I, a personal question for you, just because I got a bunch of blood work back and I always seem to find, and I have some reasonings behind it, but I'm curious for you, when you're deep in a fasted state versus like towards the beginning of a fasted state, do you find that your blood glucose um, gets a little bit elevated and then it comes down after you eat, or do you find the opposite? You know, it really depends how long I'm going for a fast. So I've done three day fast, five day fast, nine day fast. Um, The longest I've done with just water is nine days, Mm -hmm. but it all depends on what I ate before and how long it's just, it really is kind of all over the map on, on that. But you know, what I love about this is when I do do a longer fast, I can tell, um, you know, even when you're in a deep fasted state, what's weird is actually caffeine, having a little bit of caffeine actually does raise my blood sugar mm-hmm. a little bit. Like it's yeah. not a lot, but I can watch on here. So if I have a caffeine and I can watch my blood sugar rise a little bit, yeah. but if I put a cup of cat coffee and I put MCT oil in it, my blood sugar will drop by 10 points. Like just little things like that. Like I just, like I'm a little obsessed with this thing, but I just like watch it. Like, okay, now it's at 88, you know, just looking at what it is, but it, it goes back to what works for your body. And it's interesting because I have other friends that are on here and I watch them and they do it and they're like, oh, I ate this and my blood sugar didn't change at all. So you, yeah. that's what's so important is figuring out, you know, what does your body work? I have a guy that works with me. He is literally this big. I mean, he's just so small. He's going to be <laughs> listening to this podcast. He's just very, very thin. And he 
literally eats carbs all day long. That's all he does. He eats cookies and carbs and he tries to gain weight and he just, the more carbs he eats, he just as skinny as skinny can be. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, like it's, it's wild. Said, it just, it's yeah, totally. It's like when I'm early in a fast, it's, or I shouldn't even say early, but it's, if I started a fast after dinner the next morning, my blood glucose is generally pretty high. Um, like, you know, I'll be between 95 and 100 usually. And that's because in a fasted state, you have peripheral insulin resistance and you have less glucose being utilized at the tissue level and more glucose being utilized at the brain. So as a result, it's getting shuttled to the brain, but it's not getting used by this vast array of tissue in your body. So like my levels go up, I don't start to see my blood glucose levels go down until after I eat, which tells you that, well, not diabetic because I'm having a response to insulin. As soon as I eat some food and insulin is spiked, blood sugar goes down and stabilizes and it hovers around 75 to 80. But during a fast, it elevates. So it's kind of interesting because I've adapted myself so much to that. My fasting glucose is high, like sometimes over 100. And I'm very open about that. I also was pre-diabetic when I was 300 pounds before. So I'm sure it has a, a degree of that too. But I say that because we have this theory that our like our, our morning fasted glucose is the only number that we should be paying attention to. In mm. fact, that is probably the number that is most likely to be impacted by external factors. Stress in the morning, coffee in the morning, workouts in the morning. It's actually the worst time to test your glucose. The best time to be testing your glucose is just like you're talking about. It is periodically throughout the day, but you can't really do that without a glucose monitor. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's so good because actually mine most days are at around 95 to 100 and every once in a while it might be at 102 when I wake up. And if you look at the charts, they will tell you that between 100 and 120 125 is pre-diabetic. Yeah. And there's they call it, I don't know if you've heard this the dawn phenomenon that you know, the, that basically your hormone changes, like your body is like giving yourself a boost in blood sugar to kind of get yourself up out of bed. And so your body makes a little bit more insulin in that to kind of get you going in the yeah. morning. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Dawn phenomena, it's just, it all has to do with, um, I mean, it, it's purely circadian too. Like it'll, it'll actually determine Okay, when is this person normally getting up? Okay, it's 3 a.m. They get up at five. We're gonna start elevating blood glucose a little bit, elevate catecholamines like cortisol and things like that. So that when this person wakes up, their blood sugar doesn't drop too low, their blood pressure doesn't drop too low, and they can, you know, if a, if they have to get up and run from a tiger, they can. It's it's pretty wild. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one -on -one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to this recent review a happy coaching client sent in. Thanks so much for your help and guidance. I never could have done it without you. The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day, over and over and over again, and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. Yeah, so for me, 
on if I'm eating, it all really depends on what I'm have eaten that day in the last couple of days. So for me, if I'm eating normal, let's say I might have a little bit of quinoa or a little bit of more carbs or a little bit of fruit the day before, mm-hmm. my blood glucose will be anywhere between 95 and 100 when I wake up. Yeah. But if I'm a, like right now, I'm doing a 30 day no sugar detox where I'm not having any grains, no sugar, no fruit. I mean, I'm like really being uh, very strict right now. So now when I'm waking up in the morning, my blood glucose is still like maybe around 90, 92, but again, it's still way higher. And then I, I wake up and I go straight to the gym and then my blood glucose immediately, once I start even just getting up and moving around, you'll see it go from 95 all the way down to 80. Yeah. And then it'll just kind of stay right there at 80. So again, like you said, you have you have to watch that because looking at mine, mine might wake up at 102. Someone would say, well, you've got prediabetes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. my blood sugar, I used to, before I lost um, 35 pounds, I was prediabetic as well. And from doing fasting, my I'm not, I'm not prediabetic anymore. Yeah. So. No, it's, it's pretty amazing how it just conditions the body to utilize the right substrates. Well, what haven't I asked you that you want listeners to know? Anything that you would say, you know, I think now I've kind of really gotten a little bit better handle on this, or as I've been going through it, I've learned this. Any other tips that you can give listeners? Yeah, you know, one thing I've really learned that it's become very important to me is that, and I think this is going to speak to a lot of people. I I have a very addictive personality. It's how I've always been. It's why I got addicted to food before. It's why, it's why I don't drink. It's why, um, it's very easy to get addicted to fasting. And one of the things that I've learned that sort of come with, I guess, some degree of mastery with fasting is really being able to listen to my body when when I'm fasting too much. And in order to maintain the powerful effects of fasting, you know, sometimes I'll take five, six days off from fasting and then hit it a little bit more aggressively. And what I've really, really found is that slightly longer, more infrequent fasts seem to be more effective for me. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be that way forever. The body always changes, hormones change. And I encourage people to, again, look at things with a little bit more of a, you know, a wide angle lens versus just this constant like macro lens. Um, you know, if the amount of hours that you're consuming food stays the same and the amount of hours that you're not consuming food stays the same, then that's fine. Just adjust it accordingly. So, you know, sometimes, so I've really been a big fan of doing what's called like monk fasting, doing like a 36 hour fast, even one day a week, just to twist things up, you know, so that will go something like not eating dinner for two days in a row. Right. So I, I, or sometimes we'll eat dinner and then don't eat dinner the next day. So maybe I'll have dinner at five or 6 PM. And then I won't eat again until not the next morning, but the morning after. And something really cool happens, not only physically, but mentally with that, because being able to like skipping dinner and just going a whole day without eating regularly is really powerful for the mind. It just does something where I feel like I really accomplished something. And I feel like um, there's this element of restraint that I have to really kick in. And it's, I mean, you guys all know, it's difficult to not eat dinner with the family. It's difficult to not eat before bed. You really just want to have something, you know, and going to bed hungry is kind of tough, but there's also something kind of nice that comes with it. Um, so that's been something that's really just been a really aha moment for me lately is that if I just do somewhat longer, but more infrequently, the desired outcome ends up being 
pretty interesting. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the only way to go, but it's something to mess around with. I love that. And it's so funny that I actually have made a commitment to do every single week a one, either 36 or 48 hour fast. And the reason why I've done that is because I listen to my body. Mm-hmm. And so once a week, that's it. Chantelle is doing a either 36 or 48 hour. And it depends on the time of the month that for my period. Yeah. And the reason is, is because even if the week before my period, you know, you know, everyone's like, we eat more because we're just, the hormones are there and we want, we're hungrier. So, but even then I'm still going to try to do a 36. Now for me, day 15 through day 21 on my period, it's much easier for me to fast. So when, depending on when my cycle is during that time, I might do a 48 hour fast, but I think that's so cool. Cause that's one of the things I've committed to doing just once a week, a 36 hour or 48 hour, all depending on kind of where I am in my cycle and not only where I am in my cycle, but what is my body telling me? Like for me after 36 hours, I can tell, okay, that's it. I'm done. Like I need to eat or you know what? I'm going to push myself a little bit more this week. Totally. And it's it's interesting because I've done a lot of research into that world. I, I don't, I obviously I'm I'm a guy, so I I can only speak to it from the research side, but (laughs) your, your estrogen phases, like during the first two weeks after your period, those are the perfect time to be, that's the perfect time to be able to do more like strength training and more resistance training because you have estrogen acts as a nice buffer and actually is very good for recovery. So yeah, exactly that. So it's like, you know, you can get more out of like training and potentially doing shorter fasts with that first two week period and do a little bit more longer fasts, kind of that back half. So it's interesting that you kind of found that naturally, because that's where the research really points with, you know, trying to optimize, you know, women have this additional layer of complexity that men don't have to deal with where it's a layer of complexity, but it also gives you different advantages. You know, you've got some other advantages that you can you know, count on during a certain time of the month versus others. And if you understand those and learn those, you can capitalize on them. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Cause I had, how I figured it out is cause I would just started looking at, cause one time I did a seven day fast from day 15, it was like day 15 through, you know, whenever. And then I was like, this was pretty easy. Not easy. I mean, a seven day fast is hard no matter what, yeah. but it, considering, right. I was like, that was actually not as bad as I thought. Then I tried to do just like a three day fast and right, you know, it was like right before my period. And I was like, I, this is a nightmare. I can't do this. Yeah. So it really, your hormones play such a huge part in it. They totally do. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. <laughs> it's, I usually say it's it's more so where can you hide from me because I'm kind of... <laughs> uh, YouTube's the main jam. I, I definitely, I highly recommend uh, you check out my and YouTube And subscribe channel. and yes. make sure you subscribe. Yeah, and turn on those notifications because as we all know, YouTube is making it a lot more difficult for videos to get out there. So it's, it's got to turn on those notifications, but uh, also thomasdelauer.com, which really doesn't have a whole lot on there, but if you need to get in touch with me or interested in anything or have questions, uh, yeah, thomasdelauer.com, you can hit the contact form and, you know, reach out to me that way or subscribe to my email newsletter that way. Awesome. And if you have a question, go to questions at chantelrayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye for now. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.